Well, good morning. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at 19, verse 19. It's on page 957 in the Pew Bible. All right, why don't you stay seated so you can read it along with me. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, uh, we know that you have given us a mission. Help us to understand and begin to put into practice ways we can carry out that mission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this attitude that we just read in Paul is actually remarkable. And God, I believe, is calling us to be remarkable, too, and and kind of become contagious so that people who are not yet followers of Jesus will kind of watch us and become interested in Jesus. Some will even probably decide that, you know, they'd like to follow him too. You probably realize, because you probably is one, that most American Christians are pretty uncomfortable talking about their faith with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Now, this week and next, I'm going to give what I some suggestions, some practical ways to gradually become comfortable and more contagious over the next four months. In the summer, we'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, and we'll kind of keep circling back to some of the things that I'm hoping you will try out during the summer. I'm hoping that we can all get to the place where one of the things that we enjoy most is spending time with people we love who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. So let's start with Paul's declaration. I want to look just at that, that uh, one verse. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now you understand what he's talking about. He's talking about hanging out with people, Gentiles, and no longer keeping the Mosaic law like a Pharisee. Now, this is quite remarkable, especially for the ancient world, and especially for this particular man, the Apostle Paul. Paul had been a very strict Jew, a Pharisee. They had 613 
rules that summarize the Old Testament law for them. He would not eat with a Gentile. He despised Gentiles. He wouldn't touch a Gentile because that would make him unclean. He would certainly avoid spending time with them. And now he's saying that he's willing to become as much like them as possible so he can introduce them to Jesus. Now, back then, this was nothing short of phenomenal and revolutionary. We, we kind of take it in stride, but it shouldn't be. What do I mean by that? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like you were just different than everyone else in the group, and you were very aware of how different you were. Now, here's a picture. Uh, I know it's all pixelated. It's a very old picture. Um, but can you see anybody that looks different? Okay, we'll give you another slide to help you figure it out. Yeah, um, that's not a halo. I, that's me. Uh, that's in Mozambique many years ago, and that's a thatched roof with a mud twaddle, uh, I guess they call it, um, walls and a dirt floor. It was a church that I preached in. They made me dance. Don't ever make me dance. Um, it's not pretty. Uh, and I think the service went for about two and a half hours, and no, we're not doing that today. Um, they took three offerings. Uh, it was quite the experience, but it was very obvious to everyone that I was different. I was in Mozambique, and everywhere I walked, everybody knew I was there. Everybody looked. Now, they treated me very nicely, okay? The point I want to make, though, is kind of the, a different one, that oftentimes, when people are different, we don't them lovingly. It's part of our brokenness. Now, in America today, to our credit, we are being very intentional in teaching our children not to be mean to people just because they're different, to love on everybody. Uh, and now there are a few exceptions. Um, people in our culture feel free to be insulting toward anybody of a different political persuasion, and people feel free to be insulting toward Christians. However, more than ever, we are careful not to say derogatory things about other groups, and that is a good thing. It hasn't always been that way. I remember growing up and all the things that people would say about all different groups just because somebody was different. Start insulting. Throughout most of history, people have been unloving toward people who were different, often holding them in disdain, despising them, looking down on them, refusing to serve them or help them, shunning them. And this kind of unloving behavior can be as small as smiling to someone's face and then ridiculing them behind their back, or as big as the murder of millions of people in World War II by the Nazis and the Japanese, just because they were different. It's serious. And what's happening here in Paul is revolutionary, and I believe that without acknowledging that our culture is at the place it's at in terms of valuing everyone, I think it's a part of Jesus' legacy. But what are some of the obvious differences that have motivated people to treat others unlovingly throughout history? Well, obviously, race is one. Or people that, come from, that are from a different country, you know, our country will fight your country. Or sometimes just from a different town. Where I used to live, you just root for a different soccer team and they'll try and beat you up just because you're different. Or maybe people who speak a different language or they have a strong accent and people can be mean to them. Or 
overweight or underweight or handicapped or awkward or socially insensitive or less educated or come from the wrong side of the tracks where they come from a poor family. All these different reasons and more that we just say this, they're different and then are mean. Why do we do that? Why do people despise or look down on people who are different? Well, it's part of our sinful nature. And theologians often will make the case that pride is kind of the root of all different types of sin. And maybe you can make that case. And certainly there is the aspect of we want to kind of bolster our ego. And so if we look down on somebody else, it, it helps our pride. I think that's part of it. Helps us feel superior. But another strong motivation is often that for treating another group badly is because members of that group have done something horrible to our group. If you look at the tribes in Rwanda with the genocide, or you look at what's been happening in Syria with people being driven out of their homes. Religion is another obvious difference that often motivates people to treat others unlovingly. Now, Christians are still persecuted in many countries, but you also find that in India, sometimes Hindus and uh, Muslims are violent with each other. And look at the Middle East. You've got not, it, it's Muslims around Jewish people, and, and even among the Muslims, different sects. And then there's the Kurds and the Armenians. So there are all these different times that religion has helped people to, or, or people have used that because someone is different to despise them. Have you ever felt despised because you were different? I'm going I'm to share with you a situation that I went through um, I had just arrived here, and we were part of our former denomination, and I went to our first, my first Presbytery meeting. Now, Presbytery is, um, there, there at that time in our former denomination, there were 40 churches in the San Jose area about that were part of this Presbytery, and when you had a meeting, the pastors would go and some of the elders would go, and it's supposed to be kind of a collegial thing and encouraging and so forth and so on. And I was sitting there, they'd, I'd, I'd been introduced to the bigger group, but I was sitting there with a, a smaller group, and they were kind of talking about um, how excited they were about this um, spiritual direction that they'd been experiencing. Now, a spiritual director is sort of like a very wise Christian counselor, kind of helps you figure out what's going on in your heart and your life and helps you grow deeper with Jesus. And they were, you know, pretty excited that they were growing in Christ. So during a lull in the conversation, which I had to wait a long time for, um, I said something completely non-controversial and relevant. I just trying to be part of the group. And they immediately snubbed me, treated me with disdain, and excluded me. I didn't push back, because I knew why. Right there on my shirt was a big name tag that said Carmel Presbyterian Church. And that meant I was different. That meant that they knew I still believed the Bible was reliable. I believed you had to believe in Jesus to be reconciled to God. I believed that morality doesn't just change with opinion polls. That meant my beliefs, my religion was significantly different than theirs. They were progressive. I was conservative. And I, I was a pastor in that former denomination for about 35 years, and there were a few progressives who treated me well. But most treated me with disdain in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. That is the human default setting. We find some group to look down on. I've done it. We've probably all done it. I believe it's wrong and shouldn't do it, and I still sometimes fall into it. But in the ancient world, when Paul wrote these words, 
Despising people who were different was considered normal, not the exception. When the Greeks under Alexander the Great were the masters of the known world, Aristotle wrote that some races were inferior to others and should be enslaved. Then the Romans conquered the Greeks and enslaved them. The Jews despised their Roman oppressors. Now the Pharisees, which Paul was one originally, not only looked down on the Gentiles, they also looked down on most of the non-Pharisees. And the Apostle Paul was a devout Pharisee. What happened to change him and make him adapt so that he could hang out with Gentiles or with Jews so that he could put on the shelf his 613 Pharisee rules so that he stopped despising people who were different than he was and he actually started loving them? With Jesus is what happened. Jesus changed everything because he is the greatest example of someone different who loves us. See, God is, God is transcendent. We don't, we don't get God. He's holy. He's completely good. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. The prophet Isaiah quotes God as saying, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is very different than we are, much more different than we are than we are comparing ourselves to any other subgroup that we might want to lord it over. When humans think their thoughts are better than some other groups, we often look down on them and disdain them. We treat them unlovingly. But God did the opposite because God is good and loving. Now, God has always existed in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we don't know lots of things. We just know what God has told us in the Bible about it. It's a mystery. But it does seem clear that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have an amazing relationship. They're constantly showering love on each other, appreciating each other's goodness and beauty and power. Way before creation happened, the best explanation that I've heard that I like the most is that they were having such a wonderful experience, they decided to share it, to create humans who could experience that with them. And unlike angels, humans would be made in the image of God with some kind of different capacities. So to relate to them, the Son took on a human nature, and this is the way I've always seen this explained, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have a divine nature, which we worship, but the Son added, without mixing, a human nature as well, so that he could relate to us, so that he would be able to understand everything about us. But then Adam and Eve rebelled. So God the Son came to earth to rescue us. He took on human flesh. We call that the incarnation. Carn is the root word. It just means flesh. Incarn, in flesh. Incarnation, in fleshment is a good way of saying that. And part of what he did was to pay for our sins on the cross and then rise again and conquer death. Another part of what he did was to walk among us. One of my favorite passages. We'll put it on screen. Would you read this with me? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we call the incarnational principle. That instead of disdaining us, because we actually are immensely inferior to him, God entered our world. 
without doing, saying, or even thinking anything evil or immoral ever, and yet tempted in every way because he has that human nature as well. Jesus walked among us, full of grace and truth. He displayed in front of us the character of God, the loving and sacrificial and good and gentle and serving and helpful and truthful character of God. Now, on the night before he suffered on the cross, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The transcendent God of the universe washed their dirty feet, and then he said, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. And that wasn't just for the apostles. We are to follow Jesus' example, and it wasn't just about the foot washing. The incarnational principle means that Jesus came into our world and became like us to help us. The incarnational principle means that we go into other people's worlds and we become like them. Just as Paul said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. That's the incarnational principle, following Jesus. Not requiring that they come to us, like to our church, because it used to be Americans... Most of them were going to church. That's not true anymore. Many people, this would be very foreign to them. We don't make them come to our world. We first go to their world, meeting people where they're at. I became a follower of Jesus because some people did exactly that. There were some college, I was in high school, some college guys and adults invaded my high school world. They hung out with me. They picked me up for meetings. They tried to answer my questions. But you know what they mostly did? They loved me. They loved me for about a year. Uh, that, at that time, I did uh, become a follower of Jesus. They were part of an organization called Young Life. Young Life was started by a pastor in Texas in the 1950s because he noticed the high school students weren't involved in church. So he invaded their world. And 60 years later, tens of thousands of people like me were helped through that. Just carrying out the incarnational principle. You see, if you invade someone else's world, it won't be quite as stark as it was that picture of me in front of the church in Mozambique. But you will be the outsider. You will initially be the one who's different. But if you're willing to risk being the outsider by going into other people's worlds like Jesus did, remarkable things happen. You're going to have an adventure. Would you like an adventure? You're going to get to see people become followers of Christ. Not everyone, but some people. And you're going to find that it changes your heart because be you will become more loving toward people who are different than you are. That's what I want for all of us. I think God wants all that for all of us. You know, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, in the book of Acts, the disciples want to know if he's going to finally kick out the Romans. And they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, these were mostly a bunch of undereducated Jewish fishermen from Galilee, which means they spoke with a twang and everybody in Jerusalem made fun of them, okay, because they were different. They did not want to go to all nations. They didn't even like Gentiles. 
They just wanted to take back Israel from the Romans. But Jesus commissioned them to go, and my goodness, did they have an adventure. And they wouldn't trade it for anything. So our Lord and Savior has sent us out into the world to be his witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness just tells what they've seen or what they've experienced. See, most Christians feel very awkward or uncomfortable when they try to share their passion for Jesus with someone who doesn't share that passion. What if we could learn together to do that very sensitively and in a way that you'll find very comfortable? What if over the next four months, you could come to the place where you can comfortably enter the world of some people that you already love who are not yet followers of Jesus and begin to have some very comfortable conversations with them? very natural conversations, enjoyable conversations. What if sometime in the next year some of these people that you love become followers of Jesus? Would that excite you? Now the Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. I want you to join me on this journey for the next four months where we will each try to become sensitive and comfortable ambassadors of God as we navigate other people's worlds. Now, I want to pass on to you some of what um, Janice and I received when we were being trained to be missionaries, some of the principles. The first one was, if you're going to go to somebody else's world, you've got to learn the language well. And one of the things that we often do as church people is we talk like church people and kind of Christian ease. So one of the things you want to do is to not be talking weird. You want to just talk like other people talk. You don't, you don't need to include the... Uh, bad language, but, you know, you want to talk like they do, speak their language. A big part of training for becoming a missionary is developing the desire to acculturate. Now, every culture is different, and so the first thing you have to do is you understand the culture, their food, their entertainment, their sports, their music, what they, kind of their perspective is maybe different about the world and about family and about God. All of these things have to do with culture. Now, when we acculturate, there are limits. Obviously, Jesus walked in that Jewish culture, but he never did anything immoral. And similarly, there are cultures where you have to watch out for some things. But every culture on the planet, including our culture, has things that please God and things that displease God. So there are limits. But we learn to love Brazilian food and music, to watch soccer, to talk about the economy, because when inflation is 20% a month, everybody talks about the economy. Um, what are the differences between your culture and the culture of some of the specific people that you love but who are not yet followers of Jesus? I mean, you know, maybe sports are more important to them than to you, or gardening, or cooking, or movies, or books, or symphony, or exercise. What's different about their culture? Now, I'm going I'm to need your help for a second, okay? And I know some of you are going to, this is going to bother you. Because we're not actually going to pray, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. So if you just close your eyes and pause for just a minute, just close your eyes and ask the Lord to bring to mind one person who lives on this peninsula, who is not yet a follower of Jesus, but you like them. Just close your eyes and ask the Lord to bring someone to mind. Do you know what their interests are, their hobbies? Do you know how they spend their weekends or their evenings? Okay, remember that name. You can open your eyes. So if we enter another person's world, we need to speak their language. We need to acculturate, adapt to their culture to some degree. 
And then thirdly, we also need to figure out ways to serve them, to, to demonstrate love for them. That may mean helping them in their yard. That may mean picking up their mail when they travel or having them over for a meal or taking them out for coffee. They may be your neighbor. They may be a colleague. They may be a fellow student. They may be somebody who you both root together because your children are on the same team. One of the best ways you can show love for someone is to give them your time. One of the best ways is just to be a good listener. Most people don't have a good listener in their life. As you serve people, giving your time, you're investing your time. And Jesus says where your treasure is, there where your, your heart goes also. Your heart will follow your investment. And almost always, you will find if you are investing time in someone, your love for them will grow. And they'll sense it. And it makes a difference. Part of serving them may at some point come to a place where you'll offer to pray for them as they share their challenges and concerns. We'll talk more about that next week. Also, as they share about their life, eventually when it feels comfortable, you will have the opportunity to share about your life. And that can include Jesus, and it can be very natural, very comfortable for them. We'll talk about that next week, too. Not talking about anything pushy or weird, just sharing what's happening in your life like they'll be sharing what's happening in theirs. Jesus said that when he would be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. He promised that the Holy Spirit would convict people. That's one of the reasons why I'll often mention to you that hopefully the Holy Spirit is nudging you. But he wants us to be his ambassadors who will go into other people's worlds and love them. In recent years, I've been intentionally just spending more time with my neighbors. And it's, it's interesting how my love for them has just increased. I like them more and more. They're interesting. They're, you know, everybody has created an image of God, and there are deep, beautiful things in everyone. Once you get to know them, you can find them. I really like that. So ask God to show you some ways you can serve someone, love someone who lives on the peninsula and is not currently a follower of Jesus. But take baby steps. Be sure it's something you will also enjoy. You all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, whosoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. That's why Jesus came. Now, his love was obvious. At the end, right before he dies, he says, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. His love for his disciples was so obvious he could say that. He didn't have to say, do you wonder if I love you? They knew he loved them. It's very, very obvious. What I believe God wants us to do over the next four months is to actually increase our love for some people in our lives by investing in them, investing our time, listening to them, hanging out with them. We want our love for them to be very obvious that they know we care. Not invasive, not pushy, but welcomed because we listen and serve. Welcome because we authentically appreciate the good characteristics we see in them. See, everyone wants people like that in their lives. Very few people have people like that in their lives who genuinely appreciate them. And you may just find that spending time with the person God's put on your mind will become one of your favorite times of the week. I know some of you are already doing that and love it. Now, I have a request. We'll kind of, although we'll be going through chapters 13 through 17 of John this summer, we'll kind of circle back to these ideas and encourage each other to be loving a few people well. 
but I have a request. I know that some of you turned your life over to Jesus in the last five years or so. And I'm asking if you would be willing to encourage all the rest of us by telling us your story. We'd love to put it on video. We won't be able to use all of them, but we'll select some and throughout the summer hopefully be able to show them and it'll encourage people. Um, If you'd be willing to do that, you can just take the connection card and put down uh, video story and your name and contact information and and we'll contact you or you can email me or all that would be fine. I hope you'll help us on that because that could be really encouraging for everybody. I recently had the privilege of Uh, going to a hotel in Monterey to listen to Don Richardson, the author of The Peace Child, who, for us missionaries, he is probably the biggest living legend among missionaries. So I was pretty excited, and he was great. And he told the story of how a little over 50 years ago he went to Indonesia, he and his wife, and they settled between two very violent tribes, and they offered medical care, and they, you know, shared the gospel with them, and they even brokered a peace eventually that was kind of hard to do, and wonderful things happened. And at the 50-year mark, when he was living in this country, he went back to celebrate with them. And thousands of people lined the river and the town. It was just amazing because their whole place had been transformed by the gospel. Now, although I was a missionary, I do not believe that God calls most people to go overseas as a missionary. I think he actually calls us to do something that sometimes is much harder I believe that where we live on the Monterey Peninsula, to my knowledge, is a place that is more resistant to the gospel than just about any place else on the planet. And that means that God loves these people all around us, and he's sending us to be missionaries into their world, not to go learn a foreign language in Indonesia, but to really invest our time to make this part of our world that we are going to come into the world of some other people and just love on them and eventually pray for them and eventually as a natural, comfortable thing, share what Jesus is doing in our lives. We need thousands of people doing this on this peninsula. It's so easy because they're so resistant to kind of give up and say, oh, missions is for those people over in Indonesia. It's not. It's for us right here. So I hope that as we go through this summer, you would just start by maybe putting on your calendar, on your phone, something that will pop up once a day and just have you pray for whoever that name is that came up. And just start. And start thinking about, you know, in their world, how could I serve them? Would it just be to listen? Would it be to help with this or that? Think about it. Start praying. And we'll pick it up next week.